This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, visit www.librivox.org. Childhood by Leo Tolstoy, Chapter 11, In the Drawing Room and the Study. Twilight had set in when we reached home. Mamma sat down to the piano, and we to a table, there to paint and draw in colors and pencil. Though I had only one cake of color, and it was blue, I determined to draw a picture of the hunt. In exceedingly vivid fashion I painted a blue boy on a blue horse, and... But here I stopped, for I was uncertain whether it was possible also to paint a blue hair. I ran to the study to consult Papa, and as he was busy reading he never lifted his eyes from his book when I asked, "'Can there be blue hairs?' but at once replied, There can, my boy, there can. Returning to the table, I painted in my blue hair, but subsequently thought it better to change it into a blue bush. Then the blue bush did not wholly please me, so I changed it into a tree and then into a rick, until, the whole paper having now become one blur of blue, I tore it angrily in pieces and went off to meditate in the large armchair. Mamma was playing Field's second concerto. Field, it may be said, had been her master. As I dozed, the music brought up before my imagination a kind of luminosity, with transparent dream shapes. Next she played the Sonate Pathétique of Beethoven, and I at once fell heavy, depressed and apprehensive. Mamma often played those two pieces, and therefore I well recollect the feelings they awakened in me. Those feelings were a reminiscence of what? Somehow I seemed to remember something which had never been. Opposite to me lay the study door, and presently I saw Jackoff enter it, accompanied by several long-bearded men in caftans. Then the door shut again. Now they are going to begin some business or other, I thought. I believed the affairs transacted in that study to be the most important ones on earth. This opinion was confirmed by the fact that people only approached the door of that room on tiptoe and speaking in whispers. Presently, Papa's resonant voice sounded within, and I also scented cigar smoke, always a very attractive thing to me. Next, as I dozed, I suddenly heard a creaking of boots that I knew and, for sure enough, saw Karl Ivanich go on tiptoe and, with a depressed but resolute expression on his face, and a written document in his hand, to the study door, and knocked softly. It opened, and then shut again behind him. "'I hope nothing is going to happen,' I mused. "'Karl Ivanich is offended, and might be capable of anything.' And again I dozed off. Nevertheless, something did happen. An hour later I was disturbed by the same creaking of boots, and saw Karl come out and disappear up the stairs, "'wiping away a few tears from his cheeks "'with his pocket-handkerchief as he went "'and muttering something between his teeth. "'Papa came out behind him "'and turned aside into the drawing-room. "'Do you know what I have just decided to do?' "'he asked gaily as he laid a hand upon Mamma's shoulder. "'What, love?' "'To take Karl Ivanich with the children. "'There will be roomy love for him in the carriage. "'They are used to him, and he seemed greatly attached to them. Several hundred roubles a year cannot make much difference to us, and the poor devil is not at all a bad sort of fellow. 
I could not understand why Papa would speak of him so disrespectfully. I am delighted, said Mamma, and as much for the children's sake as his own, he is a worthy old man. I wish you could have seen how moved he was when I told him that he might look upon the five hundred roubles as a present. But the most amusing thing of all is this bill which he has handed me. It is worth seeing. And with a smile, Papa gave Mamma a letter inscribed in Carl's handwriting. Is it not capital? he concluded. The contents of the paper were as follows. Editor's note, the joke of this bill consists chiefly in its being written in very bad Russian, with continual mistakes as to plural and singular, prepositions, and so forth. Two books for the children, seventy kopek, colored paper, gold frames, and a popguns, blockheads, this word has a double meaning in Russian, for cutting out several boxes for presents, six rubles, fifty-five kopecks. Several books and a bows, presents for the children's, eight rubles, sixteen kopecks. A gold watches promised to me by Peter Alexandrovich out of Moscow in the year eighteen, four hundred forty rubles. Consequently, Karl Meyer have to receive one thirty-nine ruble seventy-nine kopecks beside his wage. If people were to judge only by this bill in which Karl Ivanitch demanded repayment of all the money he had spent on presents, as well as the value of a present promised to himself, they would take him to have been a callous, avaricious egotist, yet they would be wrong. It appears that he had entered the study with the paper in his hand and a set speech in his head, for the purpose of declaiming eloquently to Papa on the subject of the wrongs which he believed himself to have suffered in our house, but that as soon as ever he began to speak in the vibratory voice and with the expressive intonations which he had used in dictating to us, his eloquence wrought upon himself more than upon papa, with the result that when he came to the point where he had to say, however sad it would be for me to part with the children, he lost his self-command utterly, his articulation became choked, and he was obliged to draw his colored pocket handkerchief from his pocket. Yes, Peter Alexandrovitch, he said, weeping. This formed no part of the prepared speech. I am grown so used to the children that I cannot think what I should do without them. I would rather serve you without salary than not at all. And with one hand he wiped his eyes, while with the other he presented the bill. Although I am convinced that at that moment Karl Ivanitch was speaking with absolute sincerity, for I know how good his heart was, I confess that never to this day have I been able quite to reconcile his words with the bill. Well, if the idea of leaving us grieves you, you may be sure that the idea of dismissing you grieves me equally, said Papa, tapping him on the shoulder. Then after a pause he added, But I have changed my mind, and you shall not leave us. Just before supper, Grisha entered the room. Ever since he had entered the house that day, he had never ceased to sigh and weep. A portent, according to those who believed in his prophetic powers, that misfortune was impending for the household. He had now come to take leave of us, for tomorrow, so he said, he must be moving on. I nudged Voloda, and we moved toward the door. "'What is the matter?' he said. 
this, that if we want to see Grisha's chains, we must go upstairs at once to the manservants' rooms. Grisha is to sleep in the second one, so we can sit in the storeroom and see everything. All right, wait here, and I'll tell the girls. The girls came at once, and we ascended the stairs, though the question as to which of us should first enter the storeroom gave us some little trouble. Then we cowered and waited. End of chapter 11